chapter 9, and uh, uh, it's called the hellacious middle <laughs> for a reason. Uh, I can't tell you the people that I've prayed with or talked to or, or spoken to uh, recently, just in the past maybe two or three months, that have had major challenges uh, to their faith, not to their health, not to their finances, those things are never challenged. It's your faith that's being challenged because your faith can overcome in everything, you know. And so sometimes we don't think about it, but we can rejoice in that. You know, the Bible says to, uh, um, um, in James, it tells us to count it all joy as the testing of our faith leaves us whole. The fruit of the testing of your faith is what you look at, not when you're going through look at what's coming out of it. it it'll you come forth as pure gold the bible says you're whole and entire and you lack nothing and in that where we want to live prosperous lacking nothing amen so it and you should never be afraid that your faith is being tested beyond what you're able to master and overcome god doesn't do he's not he's not like your fourth grade teacher that wanted to see you fail or you thought they wanted to see you fail they wanted you to pass too you just you know so used to blaming people for everything you know you ain't studied you ain't cracked that book you ain't done a whole lot and then you want to blame them for tell you, they want me to fail no you, you want you to fail because you don't do what you're supposed to do to pass but with god the teacher lives in us amen amen and he coaches us along the way so there's it's always an open book test with god Amen. The answers are right here for us. And so we can can uh, master these challenges. We can come through. We can have the, the goodness that God wants us to have. Boy, it's, it's a great thing to have confidence in God. You know, that's why the, the Bible tells us not to throw it away. Cast not away your confidence because the recompense is great. You know, there's a great reward when you hold on to your faith. And so we want to be people like that, that, that hold on. But, you know, the devil is trying to make us let go. He always wants us to let go. And so he'll find ways to challenge us. But your faith, if you stay with God, your faith will prevail. You know, sometimes you're just holding on. You think by a slender thread, but you're holding on. And nobody told you what you had to hold on by. So you, <laughs> you hold on. <laughs> Amen. So so it's a good thing. And then, then when you come out, you can look back and, and say, you know what, God, you brought me through too much for me to doubt you at this point. You know, that's the goodness of it. See, that's the final outcome is that that confidence in God builds. You're not confident in yourself because you know how you got over. Got over. Okay. <laughs> And it was that song, I remember singing that song, listening to it, my soul looks back and wonders how I got over. Amen. And it's after you get over that you look back. You don't look back while you're going through. Keep your eyes ahead while you're going through. But when when it's over, you know, your soul will look back and wonder how you got over. You know, and you got over because God, you trusted God to get you through. Amen. Amen. So so in, in chapter nine on page seventy five he says, I'm not sure who said it first, but it's true, and I've lived it out a time or two myself. When God shuts the door, he opens another, but sometimes it's hell in the hallway. 
So in getting from one, from the closing of a door to the opening of the other is a challenge. Amen. It's not a defeat. It's nothing to fear, but it is a challenge. And I think we have to, in some way, expect challenges without focusing on them. You know, where they're not a surprise when they come. It's not uh, um, uh, any kind of mystery when certain things come out of nowhere. And you just wonder, now, where did this come from? How did this start? You know, that kind of thing. And, and so that's what he's talking about. You get cornered in the hallway on your way to your, your new skipping through for your Amos 913 and looking for the plowman to overtake the reaper. And stuff happens so fast, you won't be able to head a swim. And then, you know, all of a sudden you get hit upside your head with reality. He says there are probably more dignified ways to say it. But if you've ever experienced it for yourself, then you know there's really no better way to describe it. Is what I call the hellacious middle, the transitional place of the in-between, that season between your birth and your destiny. <clears throat> Amen. Or for some of us, it's the season between the last challenge and the new challenge. Amen. <laughs> Joseph experienced it in the pit and the prison before reaching the palace. Then there's Job. His story is told in 42 chapters in the Bible, but 37 of them are used to describe his troubles and the ensuing charges and accusations of his friends. Now, we know that those friends represent Satan and, and the lies that he, he'll attack your mind with. So in our, And then sometimes he'll bring people that's crazy. If you're crazy enough to listen to them, they'll sit and talk yak to you. You understand what I'm saying? But I just believe that you can walk in a place where the enemy is kept at a distance from you so he doesn't influence your thinking. You know what I'm saying? You're, you're to, to walk in a place where your mind is renewed, where you uh, feed your thoughts, feed yourself what's good and lovely and true. Uh, and it's not a fairy tale. You're feeding yourself God's word, and you're not feeding the discouraging thoughts of the enemy. Amen. <clears throat> you just kick those out right at the door before they get started. It's what you consider you know, you're, you're to consider not certain things. Just don't even dwell on them, think about them, uh, give them place in your mind. It's tempting sometimes to want to sit back and feel sorry for yourself and blame somebody else, but that doesn't get you to your destination. So at some point, you're going to have to shake that off and get in faith and get up and get moving. So you might as well do that as soon as possible and not even entertain uh, any kind of negative uh, um, aspects of thought. And, and at some, some time, God is, you know, we can get away with that for a season. You know, you can get around moping, feeling sorry for yourself, being the victim, uh, all that kind of stuff. But God will call you on that. And, and he'll call you to start uh, focusing on truth, understanding who you are in him, get over in the realm of the spirit. Uh, so that you can live the life. See, your your inner man wants that life, that wants that fruit of the Spirit life. He wants that life in the Word. He's starving for it. And, and see, we starve him further when we feast on negative thoughts. It'll never change. Look at how they treat me. They don't do me right. No, it's like cupcake. Which <laughs> We didn't even see her this year. Where my girl at this year? Cupcake wasn't around. Now, see, this summer you'll, you'll see her riding by one of her friends. Where she get in a car, she don't know us. And we don't do it right. She said, I, don't, I, don't, I want some coffee. And then we'll give her a generic pop. She said, I drink Pepsi. I don't, 
I said, she sounds like Chuck. Huh? I'm a Pepsi girl. I said, sorry for the Coke, but you know what I'm saying. But anyway, we have to keep a healthy mindset. You know, when I say healthy, I mean the word, what supports your inner man, the strength of your inner man, which allows him to live and not die. You got me? You want your inner man to live. And it's a choice. Paul says to think on these things. So what you think on is a choice for you. It may be a little hard for you if you're constantly thinking about how you feel, which, you know, taking your pulse every five minutes and trying to see if your temperature's up and all that kind of. I did that for years. You know what I'm saying? I live, I'm so glad I don't have to live like that anymore. And I can choose to believe God and choose to walk in faith. Amen. And you can too. We all can. So the Job story is told. He said, finally, in chapter 38, God starts talking. Hmm. Those things that are pure and lovely and of good report. That's when God starts talking. He brings you a good report. Amen. And things change dramatically. Similar stories could be told about Abraham, Moses, Paul, many others. A story from an experience in David's life best illustrates the difficulties we can encounter on the road to our season of failure, of favor. I'm sorry. Now, David, Ziklag was not the, 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 it was the defining moment. It was a final trial. But David has 17 years of running for his life. You understand what I'm saying? He ran from Saul. He, he could Saul was trying to kill him, but David couldn't kill Saul. See, that's kind of like we live. Huh? We have to bless our enemies. We have to pray for them. We have to forgive them. We have to, we have to walk in a higher place all the time. And David is a picture of the New Testament Christian's life. You know, you, you can't attack the anointed, even if they are anointed, uh, they're attacking you. Yeah, I've been there. I've had people come tell me, well, my pastor told me not to come to your meetings and blah this and blah that. And, you know, and who knew? You understand what I'm saying? And God will insulate you from a lot of these attacks. He will. But then there are times when you have to be aware what the enemy's doing. Because this was a person, these are people you fellowship with. You invite them to preach at your meetings. You think it's all good. And then they run back and backbite. You see what I'm saying? Well, if you want to live in a low place, help yourself but i'm not coming down there with you you got me and so you don't have to jump down there in the pit with these people they want to play down there it's like uh i remember a teacher i had she was worried about her children they were all teenagers at one time everybody's getting wayward don't want to come to church going here going there she come in smell pot smoking in the house and so the lord told her he said your kids are in the ark he said you know there's several layers to the ark humans animals and the poopy pot he said if they want to go down there and play let them go down there and play he said but they're still in the ark i got your kids you understand what i'm saying they get tired of the poop deck and they'll start moving on up wheezy huh (laughs) it's just true So we have to remember those things, amen. But they're still in there. They have not left the ark, amen. And they can't leave. They can't leave. <laughs> so anyway, this account of, but we'll talk about <clears throat> David. He was born in Bethlehem 
ultimately ruled during a fruitful season as king of Jerusalem for almost 40 years. In fact, he, he, he had to rule in, a, in Hebron for a while. It was a city of refuge. So you can be a ruler and have royal potential, but be running for your life. See, Hebron represents the place where you're not really established yet. You're just surviving, but you're there. You got me? God's got you. So it takes a little bit of developing in us sometimes before God can put the the final crowning of our anointing and in, in our position upon us. And David had to go through his things just like uh, we have to go through them. He says prior to his coronation, he said he had the Ziklag experience. And there was a town, a town located in the Negev region in the south of what was the kingdom of Judah. In the biblical account, 1 Samuel 30, David and his men returned from being temporarily aligned with the Philistine army. So there he's running for his life again. He actually found favor with one of the leaders of the Philistines. This is after he killed Goliath. So God can show, can give you a place of refuge wherever he wants to. You know, don't ever, when God sends you help, don't ever, you know, judge the messenger. Just get the message. You understand? Get your help and keep it moving. <laughs> you know, a lot of people say, well, I'd be glad when I get to the place I can do this myself. Well, you may never get there, but, you know, at least you can get it done. See what I'm saying? Don't ever fuss with God about his methods. Because God will bend rules, break rules, reshape rules. He'll do anything he needs to do to get a blessing to his kids. Huh? The prophet was fed by ravens. They were birds, unclean birds. You understand what I'm saying? You just don't, you can't tell God who to use. Because he's God. All by himself. He don't need our help. <laughs> you may think you want things a certain way, but keep living. You'll be glad for your help when it comes. Amen. <laughs> yeah, I remember somebody said, uh, um, well, I've been tithing and I think I should be able to write a check for as much as I want. I said, Donald Trump can't do that. Where do, you get, where do they get these doctrines from? You mean 10% is going to move God to make, give you enough money to write a check for whatever you want, whenever you want to? Are you crazy? You know, some of us just need a good dose of normal. Just get a good dose of normal. So they return to Ziklag and, and they come to the city and immediately discovered the Amalekites had stolen everything, set it on fire, took all the kids, the wives, everything. He said, talk about the worst day of a man's life. This may have been it for David. He lost his family, his home, suffered bankruptcy all in one day. And look at the effects that it had on him and his men. As you know, sometimes warriors are very emotional people when they don't win. You know, you, you have to learn how to, when you're a believer, you have to learn how to walk in the spirit and the temperament of God. And hold on to your your vision of victory at all times. Because if you ever look at anything as a defeat, that same energy that you use to fight the enemy can be turned on yourself or other people. 
you know, who are close to you. And that's what happened with David's men. The Bible says they wanted to stone him. The first they all crying and weeping because everybody's gone and they're assuming the worst. When you're in covenant with God, you can never assume anything. You got to get with God and check out and see where everything is. Huh? Them sisters might have just went shopping. You know, uh, uh, Uber chariots might have come by and picked everybody up and, you know, took them to the next town. You don't know about chicks. You understand what I'm talking about? Anywho, <laughs> that's what I was thinking. That's like, poor Aubrey, he got so used to me, you know, Lucy, you got some explaining to do. He finally got to the point, say, ain't nothing wrong with her. That time they thought I was I was carjacked. That's my last great adventure. And he, when he got to, when he got to the police department, he looked at me and I said, but, but he said, I told him what you wasn't going nowhere. What nothing wrong with you? He said, man, that's just normal for my wife. He just, Some people have no soul. <laughs> But anyway, it was true. And I think there was a peace, you know, when, when people are responding, and the husbands are responsible for their wives. They don't hover over you. If, if they got good sense, you know, they won't let you know that much. You find out that much, you could use it to your advantage. But anyway, uh, but you know what I'm saying. They, but they do feel responsibility, and they learn how to problem solve quickly on your behalf. And so I think he had a sense when something was really wrong and it was never really wrong. He knew God had me kind of thing. And so, you know, that's the way it was. But it, it can look bad real fast, you know what I'm saying? And so it said, David and the people who were with him lifted up their voices and wept until they had no more power to weep. I mean, they cried out. David was greatly distressed because the people talked about stoning him. Because they were all grieved, every man for his sons and daughters. So see, that self-pity can make you turn on, so it can make you want to find somebody responsible and turn on them. You see a lot of that loose. Now, that spirit's really loose in the world right now. Where, where throw stoning people, taking people down. Uh, people who have a good reputation or have had a good reputation, they can do one wrong thing and the whole world wants to turn against them and strip them of everything. Look at Bill Cosby. You know, now who would have thought, and you don't know, these accusations are just that. They are accusations. Those are words. Because there's nobody who is there that was alive. There's no third party involved to tell you if that's true or not. So it's suspicion, accusation, a lot of it lies, a lot of it exaggerated. Uh, you know, uh, um, somebody, and I'm just saying this out here, we're all grown. But to me, if you're having sex with different people, you're not married to them, you might take a drug yourself and knock yourself out. They give you one knock you. I mean, people who do that kind of life, Take drugs frequently anyway. You understand? Now all of a sudden in a situation that's ungodly to begin with, we got to find a culprit and somebody to blame. You understand what I'm saying? There's a wisdom there that if you don't put yourself in that position, you won't have anybody to blame. But when they get in these situations and all of a sudden somebody took advantage of me. 
well, last night you was having a good time with it. You understand what I'm saying? How how's anybody to know what's different here? So so here we got the ungodly accusing the other person of being more ungodly than their ungodliness. You got me? This is stupid. Because the only person we sin against is God. He's holy. He's just. He's a righteous judge. We sin against his law. Now the sin may involve other people, but the, God is the lawgiver. He is the only judge to tell us if somebody is really right or wrong or has violated something. He gives us common sense, good sense, wisdom to stay away from situations that can endanger us. But trust me, them women wanted to be with Bill Cosby if they hadn't been in there for who he was. Now all of a sudden everybody got old and wrinkled and sad and ugly looking and can't get a new facelift to fix themselves up and they all looking for money. Huh? If you have a real case, God will help you to get it before the statute of limitations runs out. You know, forget this nonsense. So at this point, it's all an accusation. It's not anything that they can indict him for. It's ridiculous. And so we have to to understand that desire to stone somebody that we hold responsible for our misfortune. We got to suck it up as believers. We got to forgive. You know, those men, they would have done well to say, God, if David's at fault here, we forgive this man. He's led us. He's fed us. And why all of a sudden this man has been feeding everybody, leading everybody, taking care of everybody for all these years. And now all of a sudden he's the enemy. You see what I'm saying? So there's a betrayal that comes in there. You know, you, they have a covenant with one another. And so there's this betrayal that has to come in with this kind of accusation. It's just wrong. But God, God will vindicate you when these things come come to you. <clears throat> he said it had to be next to impossible for him uh, to imagine a throne in Jerusalem while standing in the ash heaps of Ziklag. The hellacious middle seems more than just a phase when you're going through it. Sometimes it looks like the end of the world. It often seems like the final stop and the last destination because the enemy cuts so deep and he catches you off guard. It says, when your tears won't subside and your problems won't end. Indeed, the rank, this ranks as being one of the worst, if not the very worst day in David's life. Have you ever been there? What do you do on what seems to be the worst day of your life? When that season of seemingly unending trouble hangs over you like a fog that never dissipates. Using David as an example, allow me to lift some lessons from his response to his Ziklag experience. What did he do and what should you do on what may be the worst day of your life? David wept. It's hard to avoid it. You know, warriors don't like to weep. I don't like to weep. Nobody likes to weep. But there are sometimes areas in our hearts that are still tender, that when they're touched and when you're wounded, they draw blood. And when you're hurt, you cry. He said, weeping comes naturally and should be allowed for you and others close to you. Jesus did it at the tomb of Lazarus. Abraham cried upon Sarah's passing. Peter wept bitterly when the impact of his betraying Jesus fully hit him. Weeping is a natural and human response. It has its place with everyone, even Christians. The walk of faith is not a walk without feelings. Maybe life would be simpler if we had to deal with only the facts, but we also have to learn to cope with the feelings of our infirmities 
as well. And that's really what the enemy does. He wants to hurt us and draw tears and make us feel weak and feeble uh, so that we he's hoping we don't recover. That's what he's hoping. But God gets us into recovery. There's an emotion that comes with being sick and there are feelings that come with being disappointed. It's all part of the healing process. According to the Bible in Ecclesiastes 3, 4, there is a time to mourn. It has its place because God created us as emotional beings, or I would say beings with emotions, okay, not emotional. You're not moved by everything. You wouldn't be able to live if you were. Weeping is not inconsistent with faith, but after weeping for a season, there comes a time to take some steps towards strength and well-being. Now, I've walked my way out of tears. I've just kept walking you know, crying and all, and and you can do it. It just depends on how you want to get to where you, you're going. It says, once when visiting a hospital, I talked with a man who had just experienced corrective surgery. He informed me that while the surgery was painful in and of itself, the greater pain came when the physical therapist came to his room to help him walk for the first time following the procedure. The pain of that new knee brought on by those first few steps was almost unbearable. However, the therapist knew that exercise was necessary in order to keep the infection at bay. So there's a greater problem if you stay in that place of weeping and mourning. You got me? They said the bending uh, became a blessing and the stretching became a source of strength. I walked away from that conversation understanding that sometimes it hurts to heal. Admittedly, there are many things in life that to simply relegate them to a just-get-over-it attitude will never suffice. But we do have to learn to be able to take those first steps down the hallway again. You may grimace and groan, and a tear may escape the corner of your eyes occasionally, but you will recover your stride again. Amen. You will recover, and David did. In fact, it appears that David recovered it all in one day. And this, is, this shows you uh, the strength of an overcomer, somebody who's accustomed to me. And David's been a warrior since he was a kid. Uh, he killed Goliath when they said he was, he was ruddy and called him a stripling. And that means that he was youthful. He was still ruddy. You know how little kids, get their skin gets flushed easily because of the transparency of their skin? You know, sometimes you can see they just have that. Jasmine's like that. She's always a little red in the cheeks, you know, and and so you can tell youth because their skin is transparent like that. And so that's what they, that's how they described uh, David. They said he's ruddy, he's a stripling. So he was a very young kid, but he was an overcomer then. You can teach your children when they're very young that there's nothing to fear in the devil, that there's nothing to be afraid of. You know, they can be overcomers at very, very early ages. I noticed that uh, sometimes in the hospital, uh, children who had had surgeries as young children are tough kids. And nobody teaches them that. They just know that they're going to be challenged and they get better and they overcome. You know, it's, 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 it's something to watch in people. Who, who overcomes and who caves in, you know, to to the slightest uh, irritation. You know what I'm saying? Some people have a bad day and talk about it for a year. You know, you, you just have to have to learn how to, to just not let that stop you. You want to. See, because people who have really been wounded want to get better. 
You know, they, they want up out of that bed. And so they can teach us so-called healthy people a thing or two about overcoming. <clears throat> it says here, uh, <clears throat> he, he said, you will recover your stride again. David did. Others have, and so will you. Like the lepers referred to in one chapter, you have to ask yourself the question, why sit we here until we die? You know, why am I just going to sit here and mope and whine and carry on? I can get up and do something. So he says, get up and move towards your next season. David worshipped. And this is the, the one thing you must do is have living contact with the living God. As long as your world is your symptoms and how you feel physically and what you can't do and, and what you, 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 know, you want to do, maybe one day you keep putting it off, you'll never rise up in, in, in any kind of power. But one way to help yourself is to get God on the scene. Amen. As soon as you can get God on the scene, you get him on the scene and you begin to worship God. Call on his presence to come and accompany you. I remember when when uh, we were starting the, our healing ministry and some of the things that God told us to do uh, in recording all of the meetings and making them available on tape and all that kind of stuff. And, and the Lord told me uh, I can remember being a kid and, and when you didn't feel good, your bed was a comfort to you. And the Lord told me, he said, yeah, and you got healed by natural means. You stayed in that bed maybe three or four days with a simple cold. And he said, I want you to, to lie down with the word as your comfort. He said, I don't ever want you to lie down not feeling well without the word on you. Because that infirm spirit will definitely want to keep you there. So if you're going to lay down and get ministered to in comfort, let the word comfort you. Amen. Let the word comfort you. And, and feed on that word and get your, your spirit filled. And pretty soon your spirit will get strong enough to kick off those natural symptoms. You just bust out of there and, and there's no going back after that. So once your spirit man grabs hold and you let go of self-pity and you let go of you know coddling and feeling sorry for yourself. Brother Hagen said that when he would pray for people at the altar, he said, I knew immediately when I talked to people who was going to be healed and who wouldn't. He said, if, if I was able to minister to them and get them to let go of the whine, he said they could get their healing. He said, but as long as you let self-pity come in. See, pity is for losers. You've already given up and you don't believe you can win. So yeah, the only thing you have left is console yourself with feeling sorry for yourself. huh? Yeah, well, you can feel sorry for yourself as quick as, you know, yeah, well, I, you know, I, I play this game with myself. I'll, I'll go all day. I fast a lot until like 6 o'clock. It's just normal for me not to eat anything early. And, and then I look. I said, oh, I'm hungry. Let me get something to eat. And. I've been a good girl. Let me tie one on. You know, I just eat up everything. It is just stupid. But, you know, and I think to myself, well, here I am saying I'm going to cut back. I just sabotaged my my efforts. Uh, that's like a drug addict saying, hmm, I ain't had a fix in like six hours. Let me shoot up. Huh? Guilty. And so, so it's easy to you know when you do something you need to encourage yourself for doing the hard thing instead of wanting to reward yourself 
See, encouragement should be your reward for doing the right thing. Not going back and indulging your flesh because you think you gave up something. You know, like the, the Lenten people. You know, 40 days or, you know, when you're Catholic and you didn't eat meat on Fridays. At midnight, you sat there staring at the hamburger. You've been lusting for the hamburger for the last three hours. You know, let's get this over with so I can, you know, have some real meat. <laughs> so it's 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 like that. And so we have to make sure... We don't, uh, or, you know, the snooze alarm, that's self-pity incorporated. Because you start off your day, well, you do, you feel sorry for yourself because you don't want to get up. Ooh, this bed feels so good. Oh, I deserve to be here. I worked hard yesterday. Oh, oh, give me five minutes. (laughs) Yep. So, you know, it creeps in there. You know, and then when you want to get healed, he's your your constant companion because he's been around for so long. You see what I'm saying? So you got to kick that thing out and get over into the spirit of God, worship God, trust God, talk to God. Hmm? God is not for losers; he's for winners. Amen. <laughs> so David got up and he worshipped God. Amen. That's the same thing. What did God tell Job to do? Huh? He said, get up out that bed, array yourself like a man and come talk to me. He didn't want Job talking to him, looking sad, be drabby. He said, ah, get up, put on some clothes, come talk to me. Man to man, huh? Mano a mano. <laughs> With some clean clothes on. You know what I'm saying? Job, you been laying, how long you been laying in them same clothes? Get up, huh? <laughs> this is true. So he says, sorry to ruin your fun and any pity party you may have reserved, but the weeping has to end and the worship must begin. If it doesn't, you will further delay your arrival to your favorite season and destiny. Sometimes uh, pity devils just leave you because they're sick of you. I've heard that happen. I mean, I've had that happen. You know, I was thinking to myself, I said, I used to feel, you know, I used to, you can sit up and something happened to you and you think, man, I used to be mad and sad for days. Well, the pity devil got sick of me and left me. So he went to a new address. He said, this is boring right here, man. Give me, talk to his boss, said, give me something a little more challenging. This one too easy. Yeah, they'll divorce you. (laughs) <laughs> he said he said weeping has to end and worship must begin if it doesn't you'll further delay your arrival your favorite season and destiny and you'll feel differently after you're over in the spirit you got to trust you got to sometimes do these things by faith lord i know that when i get there this is going to be history or it's going to be a thing of the past and so help me to get there to taking a close look at David's response to the trial at Ziklag, you will discover that while others were giving in to immediate bitterness, he resisted that temptation and focused on the Lord. So you can resist the temptation to think about you. Huh? God will take care of you if you focus on him. Well... He promised to take care of you. You can't take care of you. Didn't you mess up the last time you tried that? 
There's real treasure of meaning in this verse. Look at it carefully. David was greatly distressed. The people spoke of stoning him because the soul of the people was grieved. Every man, see, every man for himself. Selfishness all around him and their daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. You have to create an atmosphere of hope and encouragement and coming out. You must create, and it's up to you to create that atmosphere. Huh? You know what songs encourage you. you. You know where you're at. I can remember I would pull out Andre Crouch when I was real low and real depressed. I don't have to go that far anymore, you know, recently. But if I need to, I know Andre going to be there for me. You understand what I'm saying? Huh? When somebody treat you wrong, the Clark sisters, he will make your enemies your footstool. Yeah, that's right. Huh? Saying that many a time. And there's nothing too hard for God over and over and over again until I believed it. Says the temptation to embrace bitterness and harbor grudges will be the first things to greet you when you're coming into your own burning zigzag experience. It's another one of those emotively prompted responses we typically experience. However, it is one that must be curtailed and dealt with as early as possible in any trying experience. For David, it must have been a difficult thing to press through. He wasn't at fault, but he was being blamed by his army of distressed and depressed men. It doesn't make any difference. If you're innocent or guilty, if people accuse you, it's hurtful. You got me? So it's going to hurt one way or the other. Bitterness and blame usually walk hand in hand, and David knew it, but he didn't recycle vengeance. That's what you must not do. Amen. You have to, you have to make sure you're not sitting up plotting, I should have said so-and-so. Well, let him call me again. I'm going to say, I'm going to say, <laughs> get him a piece of my mind. Uh, you have to let that go. You have to forgive and just, if, when it keeps coming, it'll keep coming back to you and telling you, you got to do it, you got to do it, you got to do it. You have a right to do it. They shouldn't have done that to you. All that stuff. You can't do that. He chose rather to lift it all up to God and trust him with the outcome, weight, and worship. David saw the entire matter for what it really was, and so should you. The Ziklag incident was designed by the enemy to keep David from getting to Jerusalem and reigning as king. And whatever is falling apart in your life right now is simply a roadblock to your destined season. Satan knows that if he can shut you up, he can shut you down. So worship. The choice has always been pout or praise, moan or magnify, sigh or sing. Bellyache in cynicism or break forth with singing. David had it right. He encouraged himself in the Lord. The other thing the enemy was trying to do is the, the leadership that David had developed. All those people that he had trained, the enemy wanted to try and scatter them now too. So he's thinking he can demolish the whole kingdom with one action. And so it's not just your survival. But it's the survival of everybody else that's under your authority, everybody else that's in your home, all your children, your grandchildren, everybody. It's the whole show he's trying to get. Because he's not after no small change. You understand what I'm saying? If, in, in those men that had David had, had 
uh, groomed and had trained and they had fought with him over 13 years now. You know, he was 30. I think he was 30 when he assumed uh, leadership in Hebron. He'd been fighting since he was 17. So it's been more than 10 years. And so 10-year relationships now are going to go down the tubes because the enemy has stepped in and it appears that everything's lost. You have to be careful about how you look at things. Because if you're looking in the natural only at what's not here and what's missing and what I don't have, if you're looking at all the deficits and you're not looking at God, you can't see the way out. Amen. The way out may not be there for you. So you've got to get in the realm of the spirit so that you can look at it from God's perspective. And when God sees it, he sees hope. He sees an answer. He sees a way out. He sees victory. That's all God ever sees. Amen. He said, being the songwriter that he was, possibly he recalled some of the songs and began to sing them unto the Lord. Maybe he reached for the old songbook of the soul and began to turn the pages. He also uh, went to one of the priests or prophet to he consulted those uh, the Urim and the Thummim the uh, the um, uh, they were like lots that you would cast to make decisions where there was a yes or no answer involved in something and so David got himself encouraged in God and then went a step further to seek the counsel of God because there is an answer and I'll tell you this is where many people fall short. They might encourage themselves for a season, but they never go deeper into God to get the what should I do, to get the resolution, to get the answer. Because somehow people don't believe that when they need to do something that it's doable or it's going to be too hard or I can't do it yet. I don't have this yet and I don't have that. Oh, the answer is right there. If the problem's right there, the answer's right there. I mean, seriously, why would God not give you the answer and the strategy for your victory? He will. And so you have to really look. You have to look at these things as being resolved, solvable today, not later, not next month or something, but solvable right now. Amen. Because the devil would love to keep you in fear and discouragement for another month or another week waiting on what? God's waiting on you to get up and want to take what's yours. It's like the leopards said, why do we sit here? And they had no future. I mean, lepers have no future. They say, hey, even we can want something better. Why are we going to sit here and let death come on us? Let's go down fighting. So he says, I can almost hear the song, sing him sing portions of Psalm 34.1. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear of it and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. If he was the only one, he's exalting his name together with with himself. Come on, me. Magnify the Lord with me. Me going to exalt your name together, Lord. Nobody else here but me. I'm going to do it. And then he may have reflected on Psalm 27 and saying, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and my foes, they stumbled and fell. Every wicked 
device will stumble before you and fall before you. says, though an army should encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war should rise against me, in this I will be confident. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. I think that's how he did it. Because when you're all alone without any support system to sustain you, there has to be an inner reservoir within your own spirit that you can draw from. Amen. And David had nobody. Everybody was against him. His own men were ready to kill him, but somehow he was able to focus on the good things of God and worship his way toward his new season. Amen. And so we have to understand that no matter how bad it looks, how bad it gets, who turns against us, who falsely accuses us, and for how long they do it. You know, Bill Cosby's got to know God. You pray for that man. You know, hey, everybody's sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And he's blind and, and pathetic now. And, you know, how much, how much does the devil want to strip him? He wants to kill him. You understand what I'm saying? The devil's never done. He, he never say, well, I whooped on him long enough. Let me give him. Uh-uh. When he gets you down, he really wants to kill you and destroy you. Look at his family, his children, his wife, you know, all of those people that love him and, and have encouraged him throughout the years, you know, that kind of thing. And that's, you know, you make one mistake, you know, this is nonsense, but this is the way the world operates. See, they blame us Christians, tell us we hate people, but see, we're forgiving and loving and ready to give people another chance to mess up or to do right. We don't care. You understand? That ain't our business. That's God's business, what you do with your life. You understand? But our responsibility as believers is to to believe the best for people, believe there's good in people that God can bring out. You understand? You know, started with them murdering his son. And I thought to myself, I said, my God, you know, this all these years that this man has worked hard and he's tried to be an example. You know, I, I don't care what you say. He fought hard to when all the rappers were talking, all this, you know, degrading women and cussing and everything. He maintained a certain level of dignity and even spoke out against it. Maybe that's what the devil's mad about. You understand what I'm saying? But, but you have to understand that everybody, these people, you give an account to God. We're not his judge. We're not, we don't have a heaven to put him in or a hell to throw him in either. We're not that for anybody. Our job is to do what God commands us to do. With our, we're to, we're to uh, examine ourselves, not everybody else. You understand what I'm saying? It's a big enough job examining yourself. You know what I'm saying? I can't believe I said that. I don't believe it. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's, it's just chill out. Be normal. Normal Christians. He says, whatever you focus on will magnify. If you place a magnifying glass of concentration over your problems, your problems will become larger. Consider not. Amen. We're the consider not family. We don't consider anything other than God's word. But when you magnify the magnifying glass of concentration is placed upon the Lord, then his power and glory become greater in your life. Understanding that looking at God through your magnifying glass of faith does not make him bigger because he's the same all the time. He always been big. 
He's just bigger to you now because you're looking at it the right way. Amen. It changes your perspective. Suddenly you see God as you've never seen him before. That's what worship does. That's what that's why the devil hates it. That's why he kept Israel in Egypt all those years so they couldn't go out in the desert and worship God. See what I'm saying? It says over and over throughout his life, David reaped the benefits brought to him by his worshiping heart. Paul understood the same principle of praising his way into the next season. He had been beaten with rods, snake bitten, shipwrecked, betrayed, and thrown into prison. But in the midnight hour, he joined with Silas and they sang praises to God. God responded, the earth quaked, and the prison was open, and a new season was inaugurated in Paul's life. <clears throat> there are times when God manifests in the natural that which is happening in the spirit. See, Paul and Silas could have been free and stayed in prison, but God decided, I'll just let them out. I'll, I'll go the next natural. See, in the realm of the spirit, praise liberates you, and worship liberates you. It liberates your spirit to contact God. And that's your greatest freedom that you'll ever have. Opening a, a, a door or lifting chains off is just a formality. You understand what I'm saying? That's not your freedom. But God decided to manifest in the natural what was happening in the spirit realm for them. Over and over throughout his life, David reaped the benefits brought to him by his worshiping heart. <clears throat> he says, I remember walking into my office early one Monday morning with what seemed to be the weight of the world on my shoulders. Our church was in the middle of constructing a new building, and I had haggled over contracts, met with committees and city inspectors to the point where I felt like a building contractor more than a preacher. I had schedules to keep, places to travel, and parishioners needing my attention. My own family needed me more than anyone or anything else. I had been there only a few minutes, slowly shuffling to my desk, when exhaustion overwhelmed me. The day before, I had preached on praise and worship and had even made a point or two about dancing before the Lord as David did. The crowd responded, and we worshiped together in an exuberant manner. However, within 24 hours, I was depleted and empty. I knew that my ministry as well as the church was moving toward a new season of victory, but that morning it seemed far away. As I reflected on the worship experience that happened the day before, I sensed an impression in my uh, impression of the Holy Spirit. I believed he was saying to me, can you do alone in this office what you did on the stage yesterday in front of all those people? I must admit that it was a difficult thing to consider. There was no music and no crowd to worship with me. Besides, I didn't feel like walking across the floor, much less singing and dancing before the Lord. People were busy in the hallways while others were waiting in the reception area to see me. A few cups of coffee, and, I best, and I'd be past it anyway, or so I reasoned, but the thought wouldn't leave me. Could I worship him alone, even in the dance? Would I do it alone? A dozen reasons for not dancing pushed in on me, but I slowly raised my hands and praised while sitting at my desk. Then I began to quote every verse of scripture I could recall. Soon the tears began to flow, and before I could talk myself out of it, I pushed back from the desk, stood up, and began to leap and dance. I learned later, amen, I learned later that my staff had gathered outside my door listening to their pastor have what they surely must have thought was a breakdown. But when I walked out, they discovered that I actually experienced a breakthrough in my spirit. Amen. <laughs> like David, I had learned to encourage myself in the Lord. So what about you? Are you in the hallway between a closed and an open door? 
If you are, then this is the time to worship your heavenly father and encourage yourself in his word, his favor, and his promise. Amen. Amen. It's always good to stay encouraged in the Lord. I know there are some times when I'll I'll have struggles with things or sudden things come up. And there are certain people that uh, uh, I'll... I'll look on Facebook and they'll say something, just thinking about you this morning, says, how you doing? Pray to prayer for you or something like that. So God always has help for you. You understand what I'm saying? I can remember when I was uh, started in a women's Bible study, uh, I would make little note cards. I think I told you guys this with scriptures on them. And God would always tell me to either write out something encouraging in there, give it to somebody at the Bible study or mail it to them or something like that encouragement is a ministry of the holy spirit and it's one amen and it's one that we don't undertake often enough because i felt like i really just wanted to share god's word with people and little note cards they were kind of nice to to just get you know somebody give you a little note it was never bad news it was never never accused nobody you know what i'm saying people can get really stupid with what they think is their ministry But I think the ministry of encouraging the body of Christ is much needed because not many people want to do it. A lot of people don't feel they have it it in them or uh, I'm not an encourager. I'm a a prophet. I'm a, you know, come on now. Uh, We can all encourage one another. It's, it's easy. It's, you know, if you know a scripture that, that has helped you or uh, encouraged you or something like that, you can drop that on somebody. You can text somebody a scripture. You can email them a scripture. You can send encouraging notes to people just to make sure their day goes well. You don't have to tell them God's getting ready to do this or God's, you know, I see that a lot on Facebook. People want to prophesy. I don't know who this is for. Well, shut up then. Get it off there. That's when you push the delete button. You ever see a prophet in the Old Testament going somewhere? I don't know who this is for. They get stoned. Huh? Everybody wants to have a, uh, wants to teach or dogmatize people or, you know, why not encourage people? Bless you. Have a good day. You know, you see those things rarely because rarely do people want to control one another. Religious people are good for it. They want to get in your head and find out what you like, what you like to hear, and feed you a whole bunch of it, you know, all of that kind of stuff. You know, the gospel, God didn't save us to lord it all over anybody. He saved us so that we can be a help and an encouragement to everyone. Amen. And anybody can be an encourager. Anybody can. Hmm? We all need it. We all need to know that our day will go well if we stay focused on God. You know, he'll keep him in perfect peace whose mind has stayed on him because he trusts in him. You understand? You can say that to anybody. You know, God is going to keep you in peace today. Just focus on him and stay with God. You know, anything like that can be a great encouragement to anybody. So I encourage us to encourage one another. Amen. We can do this. That's how you make it through the hell in the hallway. You do it through encouragement. Amen. You do it through focusing on the light at the end of the tunnel. Don't focus on the tunnel. Uh, but keep your mind, eyes focused on the light at the end and you'll get to that. Amen. All right. So we're going to do our quiz when we come back. 
we're going to leave for lunch so we don't have to pay dinner prices. Or... The dinner was worse 